Welcome, thanks for joining us. You're about to hear a message from our Wednesday night Solid Rock Youth Group service. Solid Rock is a ministry of Living Word Family Church, and if you'd like to know more, check us out on our website at www.livingwordfamily.org. Tonight we're going to talk about King David. Who knows who King David is? Yeah, yeah, David was the greatest king in the history of Israel. Uh, even to this day, you'll hear references to King David uh, in, in, uh, in Israel and, and Israeli culture and all that kind of stuff. You'll hear references to King David. City of David still exists, all that stuff. One of the greatest kings in the history of Israel. I'm going to read you a passage. It's not real long, but I want you to follow along with me here, okay? It's in 1 Samuel. Johnny's not going to put it up because it's longer. Uh, what? Bet. Bet me. I'm going to put every single one up. 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read you this account here, okay? Now, Samuel was a prophet of Israel. Who was king, the first king of Israel, who was king during Samuel's time? Can anybody tell me? Pop quiz. Saul. Thank you, Justin. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And for those of you who are maybe not real familiar with it, Israel was never really meant to have a king. Why? Because God was supposed to be their king. God founded the nation of Israel. God blessed Abraham, and through Abraham and his lineage, the nation of Israel came, to be, came into being. Israel was supposed to be, and still is, God's chosen people, set aside to do his will, to be a light to the world. So God set Israel up as his own people. His desire, God's desire, was for him, God, to be the king over Israel. For Israel to follow after God, to follow God's commandments, to follow God's will for their lives. But Israel, because they see the nations around them, all the nations around them had kings and armies and all this kind of stuff. So they said, we want that too. And it broke God's heart, but he gave it to them. Because they insisted, they begged, they pleaded, Samuel, give us a king. You see, Samuel was the a prophet, a judge over Israel. He was kind of a... a he kind of held a leadership role, okay? He was kind of the mouthpiece of God. He would let the people know what God said, what they should do. He would make sure they were holding all of God's commandments, the, 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 the feasts, the sacrifices, the whole nine yards, okay? So when they asked for a king, they would go and ask Samuel, have God give us a king. We want to be like the nations around us. Samuel's like, why would you want to do this? And God said, Samuel, don't fight against it. This is their... their they're pushing against me right now. So go ahead and give them a king, but let them know this. And he gave them a whole warning what would happen if they got a king. And it's amazing because all that exactly came to pass. Uh, the warnings that he gave them came to pass. So here's what he did. So anyway, so, so uh, Samuel anointed Saul, the first king of Israel. Very tall, very handsome man. Started out great. Ended up kind of falling off the wagon disobeyed God in some areas. So basically, God took that anointing off of Saul, and, uh, and from that point on, Saul was never quite the same. He gave that anointing to a young man named David. God anointed David the next king of Israel. And he asked Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul, because Samuel was pretty close to Saul, okay? Because this, you know, Saul learned under Samuel, and Samuel helped him out as he became king and all that. Uh, so God said, I have rejected Saul as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king, the king of my people, not the king of God. 
But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So, I'm going to give you a short version here. Samuel goes to Jesse. He goes to Bethlehem. He finds Jesse. He says, bring me your sons. One of them is going to be anointed king. So what does Jesse do? Jesse lines up all of his sons, all tall, handsome, strapping young men. And Samuel looks across, and Samuel, I believe, points to the oldest, like I said, I'm paraphrasing here, and says, this must be it. And God said, nope, it's not him. That's not the one that I've chosen. And Samuel's like, okay, none of these, none of these guys are it. Do you have another son? And Jesse goes, and Jesse goes, uh, yeah, he's actually out tending the livestock right now. But I didn't bring him in here because he's kind of a runt. Now, if your father had lined up all of your siblings and left you out for this grand occasion, you'd probably feel pretty, pretty low, wouldn't you? And that's exactly what happened. All of David's brothers were lined up. His father, Jesse, assumed that God had chosen one of these strapping young men to be king of Israel and completely left his youngest son, David, out of the mix. Didn't even bring him up as a possibility. Okay. So then what happened? So then Jesse said, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. And Samuel said, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. It was dark. He, was, he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. So can you imagine that? Dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. So he was a looker too, but a young boy, younger. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, who all thought they were better than him, when David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil and, that he had brought and anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned. Now, I'm going to tell you this. God anointed David to be king of Israel. This is a big, big job. He did not take the throne immediately. It's not like Samuel anointed him, said, you are the new king, I'm anointing you with oil. Uh, the anointing with oil was a symbol of, of the Spirit of God filling you and covering you. So he would anoint him with oil. It's not like David took all of his family and took all of his belongings and said, all right, I'm moving, I'm going to the, to the palace, and marches into Jerusalem and starts to be king. That's not how it happened. God anoints him, but there's some growth and, and, and maturity that has to take place between the time he was anointed and the time he actually was able to take the throne. You also have to know that Saul was not happy about it, which also didn't take place right away. So David comes in. David begins to serve in the palace, serve king, the king. David eventually becomes one of the commanders of Saul's army. Saul becomes very jealous. Saul seeks to kill David as David gets older, and it becomes more and more clear that the favor of God is upon David and no longer upon Saul. Saul gets crazy, crazy jealous, like to the point of wanting to kill David at, the, at, his own king, at the king's own supper table, okay? He tries to throw a spear at him. I mean, like, he just, he is in, he's gone crazy with jealousy because he knows that David is the anointed one now and will take the throne from him, essentially, that God is going to give the throne to David. So Saul was against David. We see in Psalms, uh, a lot of the Psalms written by King David, uh, as he's on the run from Saul and the armies, Saul's armies. 
David and his men, okay, it was like maybe two, three hundred men, give or take. David and his men are on the run, on their own, the whole, basically the whole nation. A lot of people really liked David, but basically the whole nation was against him. They were, they were, they, there were very few places for them to hide. They were living in caves. David, all is coming up. So when we read some of the Psalms and we read how David was lamenting, God, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? Haven't you anointed me? Aren't I, aren't I the guy that is supposed to be king? Why is Saul chasing me? There were many opportunities for David to actually kill Saul. There were two specific ones, and yet he didn't take them. He was not going to attack God's, the king that God has put in there. So basically David said, even though I know, I know that I am the rightful king of Israel because God has anointed me, I know that I am the king of Israel, but I will not take out the current king. I will not take him out, and I will not... I will not undercut the person that God has put in there until God removes him, okay? So David had the king against him. David had the armies of Israel against him. David was just, he was distraught. There was a lot going on, okay? Eventually, David becomes king, all right? Through, a, through another battle with another nation, Saul ends up being killed. David's best friend, who is also Saul's son, ends up being killed. Uh, so David takes the throne, but it's with great despair and sorrow because his best friend has been killed. And uh, King Saul, who David did look up to, uh, met his demise in that battle. So we fast forward a little bit. David is a triumphant king. He, he has defeated many of Israel's enemies. He is very, I mean, the people love him. They respect him. They hold him in highest esteem. He's an amazing king. Anybody ever heard of Bathsheba? Yeah? Eden's heard of Bathsheba. What happened? David, who should have been out with his men, with his armies, should have been out, ended up staying back at the palace, walking on the palace walls. He sees a very beautiful woman on her roof. For what reason? I have no idea. She was taking a bath. He sees her. He decides that he wants her, and he goes to get her, okay? So she lays with him, and it's, it's, this big, it's this big ordeal. He ends up calling her. She gets pregnant. He calls her husband home from battle. He's actually out on the front lines with the armies, with David's army. This was a very loyal soldier, someone who's loyal to God, loyal to the kingdom of Israel, loyal to David, loves his wife, but refused to go and take leave at his home and lay with his wife and sleep with his wife while his fellow soldiers were out in battle. So he refused to go in his home and lay in his bed. He actually slept on his porch. David was so mad about this because that was his chance to say, okay, this isn't my baby, this is Uriah's baby, this is her husband's baby. That didn't work. You know what David did? David, who is an amazing, regarded king of Israel, who later on, the Bible refers to as a man after God's own heart, a friend of God. This is somebody with, who loves God with all his heart, who is humble. He makes a huge, another Bathsheba was one, but he makes another huge mistake. He basically sends Uriah back to the front lines of the battle with a note to give to Uriah's commander that basically says, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the battle, and when the battle gets real heavy, I want everybody to back off and leave Uriah for dead. And that's exactly what happened. So Uriah went back to his fellow soldiers with his own death certificate in his hand. David had him killed because he was so mad that he couldn't cover up his own sin. So we see David has been through a lot. 
David has been through a lot. He's, been, he's had some horrible missteps. Uh, the prophet Nathan, God called him to come in to speak to David and say, How dare you sin like this before your God? And Nathan called David out. David repented. David humbled himself before God, admitted what he did wrong, um, took Bathsheba as, a, as his wife. The baby later dies. Um, David is distraught. He's in mourning. When that's finally done, uh, he ends up having another, uh, more children, and, and, you know, kind of it goes on. But we see everything that's going against David. We see the, the, how it took so long for him to actually take the throne. After he was anointed king, it took a while for him to take the throne. He was on the run for his life. He made some horrible mistakes while he was in there, and those aren't the only ones. You can actually read through First uh, and Second Samuel and read more about David's life and what, what he did, some of the mistakes that he made. There was a lot going against David. There were some times when he was just, he was depressed. He was, he was just completely beside himself. He was down. He didn't know what to do. But I'm going to tell you something. The calling that God put upon his life never lifted. Even though he made mistakes, even though he made missteps and terrible ones, the anointing that God put on his life never lifted. Why? Because he kept a humble heart before God. Did you know that God has put a calling on your life? You may make mistakes. You may do things that you're not proud of. Maybe you yell at your mom and dad or disrespect your parents. Maybe you've stolen something. Maybe you've, whatever the case is, maybe you've had an inappropriate relationship. Whatever that case is, there are mistakes that you have made that do not take away the calling that God has put on your life. There is a calling on each and every one of you. But I want you to know that just because you make mistakes, that does not mean that God is going to take that calling from you. The Word says that the callings of God are without repentance. I mean, God does not take those away. He has put inside of you something special, something for Him. A direction for your life, a talent, a skill, a passion, something to do for the kingdom of God that nobody else can do. People to impact that nobody else can impact. And even though you make mistakes, I want you to know that just like King David, if you will humble yourself and if you will get right with God, he will continue to use you the way he has planned to use you. That that calling he has put on your life is without repentance. He will not take it away just because we make mistakes, just because we stumble and make bad decisions. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. 1 Corinthians 1, 28. God chooses the lowly just to show the world how much more powerful he is. He chose David, who was the least of his family, the least of his uh, tribe in Israel, to be king. Look how David chose Moses, somebody who could barely speak without stuttering. Somebody who, was, who ran away from Egypt because of a mistake that he had made. And God chose him to be his mouthpiece to save his people, to save God's chosen people. If you look through the Bible, you will see countless examples of how God uses people who nobody else would consider. And God uses them in amazing ways. God uses them in amazing ways. 
The world may try to cut you down. The world may try to put stumbling blocks in front of you. Had a conversation with somebody today. How big of a stumbling block this can be. Checking your social media posts, messages people send you, bad messages people send you, bullying that people do to you or that you do to others, nasty things you say about people. This can be an insane stumbling block right here. This device carries in it the possibility of every sin you can possibly imagine. Right in your pocket every single day. And I can almost, I would be willing to bet that the vast majority of you sleep with it beside your bed. You're not allowed to? Good. Very good. But I bet as soon as you get the chance, you open it up and check it. I mean, as soon as you get the chance, don't you? Every single There are more stumbling blocks than we care to admit out there for us. And many of them we carry right with us. But I want you to know that if you humble yourself before God, no matter how you have stumbled, God will lift you up and he will lift you back to that calling to which he first called you. As a child of God, those gifts and callings are without repentance. God will activate those callings in your life when you humble yourself before him. In 1 Peter 2.21 1 Peter 2.21 For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. You must follow in the steps of Jesus. I'm not telling you that. God's telling you that. And if you don't know what those steps are, we have an excellent, excellent example in God's Word of what those steps are. Steps of self-sacrifice, of love, steps of strengthening others, putting others before yourself. Jesus gives us so many examples of how to do that how to put others before ourselves, how to serve, how to follow in his footsteps. Because we have been called. We have been called. There's a reason you have been called and gifted and given talents and skills that nobody else has given. Because God has a purpose and a plan for your life. No matter what you have done wrong, no matter how you've stumbled, just like we saw David, there was a whole lot coming against him, and yet he was called and anointed for a purpose in the kingdom. And so are you. You are called and gifted and anointed with a purpose. Anointed with a purpose. I want you to think to yourself, what is that purpose? What has God called me to do? What is something that you are passionate about? Are there people that God has put on your heart to, to talk to, to share your faith with? Are there, everybody stand up with me. Are there people that God has put on your heart that need a touch from God, that need to have God in their lives. Or let me go a step further. Maybe you're in here tonight, and there's a few of you that I don't know. Maybe you're in here tonight, and you say, you know what, Matt? I have actually never 
received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never accepted that free gift of salvation. What does that even mean? I'll tell you real quick. It means that Jesus paid the price for your sin. Our stumbles, our mess-ups, our bad choices, the things that we've done wrong, sinning against God, Jesus paid the price for that because the penalty of sin, the Bible says the penalty for sin is death. And yet Jesus took that penalty for us so that we could be a part of the family of God, so that we could be adopted into God's kingdom, so that we could have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is how He, cre he created us to have a relationship with Him. And sin separates us from that relationship. But the free gift of God through Jesus Christ is salvation. Deliverance from that sin. Sin will no longer have a hold on you. Will no longer have you in bondage. You will be free. Free to love God, to serve Him, to have a relationship with Him that you have never known before. So if that's you tonight, I want you, as we begin to worship, I want you to come up front and I will lead you in a short prayer to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, to receive Him as your King. Receive God as your King and your Heavenly Father and accept that free gift of salvation. It takes two seconds to pray that prayer. I prayed it when I was in high school. Summer after my junior year, been in church a while, was learning and trying to understand and wrap my head around it. And eventually, it took me a while, but eventually I said, this, I've got, I've got to have it. I've got to have this relationship with God. I need this. There's something missing in my life. And so I went up to pastor one Sunday morning. I was at church with my girlfriend and her family. Right back there. I was at church with my girlfriend and her family. And I went up pastor led me in that prayer. And from that moment, I have been a child of God. So every July, celebrate a little spiritual birthday. Because God is good. This past July was 20 years. 20 years since God rescued me. Let me rephrase that. 20 years since I've received that rescuing God rescued me on the cross. When Jesus died, God rescued me. It took me a long time to get it, to understand it, and to receive it. But God is good. God is so good that he gives you those opportunities. And tonight, if you have never done that, if you have never prayed that prayer, tonight is your opportunity. In 20 years, you can say, I went to youth group with my friend, and I felt the call of God on my life, and I had to go up. I had to pray. And I became a child of God from that night forward. Tonight can be your night if you have never made that decision. So as we start to sing, if that's you, I want you to come up. Nobody's going to be looking at you. Everybody's going to be singing. And I will lead you in that short prayer.